and welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about violence in video games. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast. It's pretty simple. On this podcast, we like to talk about games. Uh, the violence in video games topic is one that I kind of chose because I'm really fascinated by it. Kind of more from like a media theory perspective or whatever but i just want to like start right off the bat by saying like this isn't really going to be i i consider the do video games make one violent question to be solved right like moot the answer to that is no so if if anyone is is like bracing for like the hot you know what i mean like the like the new york times 60 year old man oh it's the violent video games that are causing like i that, that that's not that's not what we're here for that's not that's not what i'm it's not what I the, what what we want to uh, what we want to talk about, um, because yeah, I, I feel like that is pretty open and shut. I guess do you do you, do you agree with that assessment? <laughs> uh yeah, there there are um, a couple of nuances to that maybe, which is, um, you know, if if we if we want to be hyper specific, that it's been shown to increase aggression in the very short term, but no more than like competitive sports or something I've, there's a whole bunch of nuances to it but the the off the, the the big offshoot is that um is that uh violent video games do not cause long-term violence in in people um as as best the scientific evidence supports it right uh so the so the question i'm really interested in is like why are video games violent right uh, and to a certain extent, this question is also a little bit of like, why is like media in general violent? Because it's, you know, we could talk, we could have this talk about fucking like action movies, or we could have this talk about comic book, you know, like we, we could have this kind of a discussion uh, about most kinds of media, but we are obviously people that talk about video games. So that's, that's like the, the specific lens that I want to, that I want to go through it for um and i told mango before the podcast i told him that i did research which i really should have put in qu air quotes because it deserves to be in air quotes which is mostly just like i watched a whole bunch of different people's kind of takes on why there is like a pervasive violence in video games um and uh, and i kind of feel as though like uh there are three like schools of thought uh about this about about this idea um, so, uh, and, and so, and so those three schools are essentially, there's kind of the computing reasoning, there is the, like, ethical reasoning, and then there is the, like, catharsis reasoning. Um, I don't know, do, what, do, and, uh, yeah, which, you pick, Manga, which one do you want to talk about well, Let's first? go in order, because computing sounds the most kind of... I'm not sure to me. Like I, I, I want to see where you're going with this. So okay, so, go so the so the computing reasoning is is one that I find pretty fucking fascinating to me, and it's the one I was alluding to last week. Um, the kind of source for this idea is uh, is a video by a guy named Aaron Signal where he talks about why video games are naturally violent, and he actually compares like he talks about how games in general are typically not super violent right like most sports are not super violent like really if you look at it something like football or even more drastically like mma or like boxing are kind of outliers compared to like 
soccer, you know what I mean? Or like or baseball, baseball, right? Yeah. yeah, like these those are these are pretty non-violent games, a lot of kids games, not th- specifically like non-video games, right? A lot of board game, you know, like Monopoly is not violent, Life is not violent, Sorry is not violent, Checkers is not violent, right? And so like, so what's the difference between this subset of games, right? Uh, and the subset of games that we we think of when we think of video games, right? Hold, hold, specific... hold on one second. Um, Maybe like, I guess the working definition of violence is useful just because as, as you were saying that you were like checkers and sorry, aren't violent. And like, I'm with you, but you do knock pieces off the board and capture pieces. And, you know, obviously that's not violence in the traditional sense, but like, it is kind of like taking action against other players. So what definition of violence are you working from? Is this like very traditional, like hand to skin type stuff? Yeah. I, you know, there's something about, um, you know, there's something about uh, like a physical, uh, like 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 f- a physical assert- assertion of force meant to cause damage. You know what I mean? Like it's meant to. Do you know? Okay. What I, and I guess you could technically say that like capturing the pieces in checkers is like, or you know what I mean, or like or like hopping over the pieces in checkers is like a form of violence. But I think we could all kind of agree that that violence is insanely abstracted compared to the violence in, you know. Far Cry, right? They're both simulated to to one extent or another, but one of them is much more visceral uh, than the other, and therefore I would kind of say that it is like more typically like violent. Uh, you know, I, I, absolutely. Although I would also, I, w- I would also kind of wonder, like, is there someone who for for whom Checkers is like a fun game because the like, you know, like the the violent thrill of. It's not. It is not the winning that is coupled with this, but the thrill of hopping over pieces. You know what I mean? Like that, that's a part of their aesthetic enjoyment of the experience. Well, I, I can tell you, um, having a, a brother who is only slightly younger than me, I have played some violent games of Monopoly and Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I think that's what you mean by short-term aggression, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So and so and so he kind of lines out. He's like, "Why are all of these games that are non-video games um, so kind of adverse or abstracted in their violence?" And then we go to video games where you know you are stabbing people through the chest, right? You know, you're you're shooting off these gooey headshots where like you know the the head explodes like a zit or something like that. And that's like and that's satisfying. We've talked about how that's satisfying on the cast before. Um, and so, and and then he kind of goes into a, a history of like, okay, well, like if we think of games as a computing system, right? What are computing systems good at and bad at doing, right? Um, they are good at uh, they are good at backendy things, right? This is something he talks about where it's like spreadsheets, the games, right? So like anything that Paradox has ever made obviously but like you know football yeah like eve like like football manager or like baseball manager those kinds of like managerial sim games right a lot of sim games i i also like sim city is obviously kind of in this right because like you know there's a lot of equations that go into all of this shit and you just take all of that work and you put it on the computer which is good at running numbers and you know doing equations right uh but as computing software gets more and more powerful a new vein uh, opens up, which is spatial simulation, right? Um, where computers become really good at simulating uh, spaces and spatial movement, uh, and then this becomes kind of the driving force behind games. It's the reason that like the dual analog sticks became a thing. You know what I mean, right? Like because now now you have 
uh, like velocity data modified by directional data, right? And then you have face buttons so that you can jump and that modifies or you can shoot and that modifies your like movement. So you create big 3D spaces or 2D spaces. You could also, you know, big 2D or 3D spaces to move around in. Um, and that spatial simulation, right? That's something really cool that computers can do. And then when you take that a step further, it's like, okay, well, how do you make spatial simulation interesting? What's the way that spatial simulation becomes kind of tense or, you know, or dramatic? And the answer to that is that you put other shit in spatial simulation to exert, you know, physical force, right? on in damaging ways right that creates that creates tension it creates drama and everything like that uh and so that's kind of his that's kind of his like route to the end game right you want once you realize that the lowest common denominator or really a better metaphor is like the path of least resistance for a computer to simulate something right is uh spatial simulation violence naturally comes with that path more so than if computers were like like let's say a computer existed that was not very good at crunching numbers but was amazingly good at reading facial expressions and conversational cues right you would have a lot more dialogue driven games uh in that kind of a scenario versus a scenario where computers are explicitly pretty bad at that sort of thing right um, and so that, that is the, that is kind of the, the computing genesis for why are video games violent? That, that's the answer. How, what, what, what do you think about that, that line of reasoning? Um, <clears throat> I don't think it's convincing on its own. Um, I do, I, I, I see the point, but like, I, it seems to me more that like computers are good at like a spatial simulation and one of the set of things you can do with that is violence. And that's why it's compelling. And I, I find it from that perspective of like, what computers are good at effectively limits the space of the things that that computer like you know that games do, and violence is one of the things that's left at the end of that, and I, I buy that, but um I suspect that they're like, like that's like a constraining factor that like lowers the space, but I don't think it lowers it just to violent games. But I I, I understand the point, and uh, I get it, and I think that's I I would yeah, buy it as a contributing it, it, factor. That's why I think that path of least resistance is kind of the best way to phrase it because like I don't think it means you know like I don't think it means that other games don't exist like obviously like right. back indie games right like these are things that also do exist and are pretty easy um, they have like the same kind of ease of access or whatever um, and it, it's also worth mentioning that this video is from a while ago it's almost from like eight years ago or something at this point so like. There are uh, there are other spatial simulation games, and spatial simulation games have kind of grown up in a certain way, right? Like, so for instance, I wouldn't call Minecraft an insanely violent game. Um, there is obviously some violence in it when it comes to you know like creepers and zombies and everything like that, but the core gameplay loop is much less about violence in the same way it, it, as opposed to something like call of duty right which is another spatial simulator where the core gameplay loop is explicitly about violence um the core gameplay loop in minecraft is about kind of the self-expression of building something and it uses that self uh it uses that spatial simulation um to encourage you to build stuff and then you add in kind of like eyedropper small amounts of violence in order to kind of ratchet the tension and make sure that you you don't have unlimited access to to building uh necessarily right and that's not even and that's and like survival mode 
I, you know, like, I think of survival mode as the default way to play, right? But there are plenty of people who just do creative mode Minecraft, where there is no violence whatsoever. Um, yeah, no, and, and I, I, definitely, I, the, I would also point in things like, like, Pac-Man isn't super violent. Um, like, yes, there's a ghost thing, but it's not, it's, 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 it's not a lot, right? And so, like, that's, that's what I mean when, like, you know, that's a game, that is a game about exploring space, right? Like, it's a game about, um traversing the space that, that you can simulate and collecting the, the foozles in it. Um, and as a result, I like, like, like that's what I mean by the set is constrained, right? Like violence is definitely one of the things that you can do in that space, but there are other things that you can do with spatial simulation that, uh, like, like you were saying, Minecraft. Um, and then I, I think you need at least some one other or some other factors to, to, to hone it in on violence. But I, I think, it, I think it's a good kind of like contributing factor. Okay, do you agree with the like the kind of premise that like video games are more violent than non-video games? Um maybe like as a as as um as opposed to like movies and books, books I think aren't particularly good at conveying violence, so I definitely say yes. Movies so this is this is this I think actually gets directed to this argument. Movies can be, but they have a more open space because um, they don't have to be worried about the fact they're not particularly good at like reading facial emotions, right? Like yeah, yeah. Um, like you can yes, you can have storylines and cutscenes in games, but like it's got a limited amount as to how much you have agency on that in the uh, in it uh, just like you know kind of by the nature of, of the state of natural language processing. Yeah, I, I mean, actually, I think he gets at this in, in a completely different video. He gets at this in his VR video, where he talks about kind of how um, the main problem with VR is that when you put your head and have one-to-one -one motion tracking on your head, but then you put a controller in your hands, right, and there is an abstraction between how, like, the controller moves or whatever. There's a dissonance between that, yeah. right? Like, it is much more natural to accept the abstraction of moving a joystick to move my head around and moving a joystick to move my body around. Those two things are congruous in a way. Um, but when you decouple them and you say, okay, well, one of these is going to be one-to-one -one and the other one isn't, right? Um, that's when it creates kind of, like, a dissonance problem. Um, and it's kind of the reason that, like, you know, uh, like Super Bunny Hop just put out a video about VR and he talks about how the PlayStation Move controllers are like really necessary in order to kind of like sell the experience. And that's because it helps bring that one-to-one -one experience with your hands up instead of kind of like the, the kind of controller abstraction. And I think the same sort of thing kind of applies to the way that um, like game systems work when it comes to like dialogue trees. Um, because... Dialogue trees aren't a supernatural way to speak with someone. You know what I mean? And it's it is not a in in a world where I control uh, where I where I where I control a character's movement through the space, right? Um, and how he runs and how he jumps and all of that kind of stuff. Um, it doesn't feel like I am controlling how he speaks by choosing the preset options in a dialogue tree. Do you know what I mean? Or yeah. any of the other kind of abstractions, right? Like he has a whole thing about how the dialogue tree in, in or the dialogue system in Oblivion is really stupid. And it is, right? Um, but uh, like there is no it, – it is very hard for, for like game systems to like really simulate that kind of thing well. Um, and outside of a PvP game where I can literally, you know what I mean, like type 
my where you just ignore the computer this is kind of what wow rp is if you think about it like i am typing out um my message using the means of the game to another human right rather than to the computer if that makes sense yeah uh you know that's not even like the computer being good at the computer being good at transmitting your thoughts yeah yeah, which is actually pretty good it's good at transmitting your thoughts to another human um yeah uh kind of in that vein, the other thing I wanted to say, just kind of on that note, is it, when you asked about, like, our games provide another media, there's also, like, games have a sport component to them that that other traditional media do not, and as a result, I think that that also brings in some level of, uh, of, of violence. Um, again, not that all sport is violent, violent but, like, it, um, it, it, it kind of ups the uh, the anti i guess is the best way well so so yeah i mean i i very much actually agree with his premise that specifically there is a disconnect between um violent video games right and non-violent non-video games right um i think stuff like board games uh you know like playground games right sports and stuff like that are less violent but i think he's kind of missing the occam's razor there which is that video games are all simulation um, whereas something like baseball is real and there are real consequences to the violence in, let's say, MMA or boxing, right? Or football, right? Like these are yeah. the, they, the, you are inflicting damage on another human being. Um, and I think that's the big thing that accounts for that difference. And, the, and, and part of the reasoning there is I don't really think video games are any like, I, I guess I would say that video games are more violent uh, than like movies and like books and like comic books and stuff like that, um, but not by much, right? Like I think those they are much more in parody. Whereas I feel as though like non-video games, there is way, way, way less violence, and that's just because the demands of the real world, right? Like you know, gladiatorial combat is no longer uh, is no longer like an ethical or legal thing to do in the 21st century world. And by the way, when gladiatorial combat was popular it was by far the most popular sport in the world so like you know it's uh um yeah no i i i get that it's also like i think there's also an aspect of like um uh, ability right like the the kind of ability that you need in order to play video games is less significantly um or at least play video games to a competent level is less than uh is less than like a sport, right? Like, um, I am not a, a, a fit person and me playing soccer would be me being tired for like 30 minutes. Yeah. Whereas yeah. I can, <laughs> yeah. Tell me about it. <laughs> uh, um, whereas, uh, um, you know, playing a video game obviously doesn't have that, that limitation. Um, there, there, there it, it does matter in the margins. I don't want to like kind of imply that, that it, that it doesn't. Um, I'm just thinking about like, you know, peak athletes and whatnot but i think though i think the 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 kind of distance between a a an average gamer and an e-athlete is much smaller than between an average an average person and a uh uh a, a professional sports player yeah and even though i i don't wholly subscribe to this theory i do think that there is a little bit of um I do think that there are kind of like some nuggets of truth in there. Uh, specifically, when I think about it compared to the way comic books depict violence. Um, and this is this is kind of like an interesting and strange thing when people, um, especially people who don't know comics very well, um, 
kind of like look at them and like interface with them but violence in comics is not an amazingly satisfying thing um when even like and in superhero comics which are by far right like the most popular kind of excuse me american comics out there right even superhero comics when you kind of look at the nitty-gritty aren't amazingly violent um because the action scenes that are getting depicted tend to actually get uh blown through pretty quickly which is mostly because or or there's a lot of text in them right and the reason that this is is because reading something like reading the words on a page takes a lot longer for people than looking at a like looking at a picture and so when you have a comic that's all about like juxtaposing those two things right when you have a bunch of people like let's say you know the justice league are all in the watchtower and they're and they're discussing their plan for fighting dark side or whatever reading through all of their text bubbles right to get the flow of the conversation and to understand what the you know like what the plan is and what they're getting across that takes a lot less time or a lot more time than a couple like you know like let's say five five pages of you know text bubble planning and then five pages of wordless fighting right the fighting is all through images and therefore there's not a lot to read and you can um and you can get into the situation where like the meat of the issue is them talking about stuff and then the fights you kind of just like blow by and i feel like if people were to actually like look at some of like the modern like event comics and stuff like that most superhero fights are kind of just like high tension window dressing to big plot changes right because the plot hinges really really hard on who wins and who loses any any given fight and the fight itself doesn't take all that much space because there's not a lot of real estate to work with comics because people because there's this effect of like people just like whizzing past pages um or you kind of get into the spider-man effect where the fight is full of dialogue and there's a lot of conversation right um and this kind of thing will happen where like like sometimes people will be like this you know like this issue is like wall-to-wall -wall action right um but the whole but like you know the fight actually takes uh takes a while to get through because there's a lot of kind of like talking and like back and forth between like the hero and the villain as they're like getting at it and so i think that that kind of thing does suggest that the the whatever you know like that the media right like it is hard to depict violence in um in prose and therefore like fiction tends to be a lot of dialogue and talking because it's a lot easier to to depict dialogue with prose than it is to depict um than it is to depict the violence with prose. I think that there is something to that idea, but I wouldn't say that it's like, you know, the driving force behind this, right? Uh, I, I think it falls short of kind of like adequately fully explaining the violence in the video games phenomenon. Yep, I, I think I agree with you. Okay. And so, and so that kind of leaves us with, uh, there's got to be something else, right? Um, and I want to talk, I guess, about the moral critique, which is probably better described as the cultural critique. Um, and uh, and I really and I and be be aware this is kind of kind of get a little bit political, but this is just this, I just want to explain things, right? This isn't an endorsement or a critique or anything along those lines. But the best example of this is kind of like feminist frequency, right? The driving ethos behind Anita Sarkeesian's critique of violence in video games is we live in a violent culture, right? And that culture is what shapes 
the video games that we are in, right? And after 2,000 years of military conquest, be you know, like all across the planet, all of these empires, right? The Chinese Empire, right? You know, Indian, uh, uh, Indian empires, and then obviously all of the Western empires, like the British and the Romans and stuff like that. All of these are about conquest. All of these are about violence, and that just drips into and saturates our media kind of um, because that's the world in which we live in, right? Media is, at the end of the day, a mirror on the society, a mirror on the culture, a mirror on the world, right? And when we live in a violent world, our media will then be violent. Um, what, what's, what's, your, what's your take on, on the cultural uh, driving of, of violence in, in media? Um, I feel that in some ways... Um... Like there's I, there's a point that gets thrown around a lot. You know, one one of the major forces for video games is is America, and America is a country born out of violent revolution. Um, maybe we'd have less violent video games if Canada was the second major producer behind Japan. Um, uh, like uh, uh, you know, like Jap. I, I just think it out in my head, right? Like Japanese games tend to be a little bit less overtly violent, at least in like the, you know, like the early Nintendo games. Right. Um. Uh, you know, as, as you know, which is like, uh, uh, you know, Mario and Kirby, as opposed to like Contra, um, although Contra's Konami, so maybe that's a bad point. Um, uh, I actually do think that there's a pretty interesting divide between um, uh, violence in, in American games and violence in Japanese games, though, and that's how they use guns. Uh, this is this is all cribbed from like an extra credit episode of like years and years ago. But they basically talked about how guns in Japanese games tend to be integrated into the body, and they use as examples like Mega Man um, and like Samus, right? Um, and uh, and guns in Western games tend to be items that you pick up, right? Um, so you know, in Halo, you pick up you know, a plasma rifle in Halo, you pick up the needler, right? You pick up the pistol kind of thing. And so in in Japan, and so th and to be honest, I, I really don't agree with this, but I, I kind of see the reasoning. And so they were talking about how like in Japan, like the like guns and weapons are kind of like integrated into a person, right? Like there is not a lot of difference between the tool and the tool user, right? Um, and I want to say, man, I, I feel mean saying this. I want to say that they said something along the lines of like, in Bushido, you know, they teach you to make your sword just another part of your arm or something like that, which is really cringy. And I might be misquoting, but like, I kind of think that that's what they were going for, which is weird. Um, whereas like in America, you know, like uh, the gun is the tool of a revolution, right? Like it, and all of that other kind of stuff. Like we, you know, are the most permissive uh, gun wielders on the planet um so uh it makes sense that we think of we you know like we think of guns as uh as objects and as tools that that have that kind of uh different value i have no idea i don't, I I don't know if that really those i don't know if that really holds up under like strict scrutiny like because like just because i don't think that that integrated thing is like a real kind of I feel like Samus and I feel like Samus and um, and Mega Man are kind of the only good examples. Right. But but then also at the end of the day, I also kind of feel like, like with like a Capcom game like Contra, um, or you know like the Metal Slug games or Metal Gear 
solid. Wow, those um, are the three that I was going to mention. <laughs> <laughs> or also, or also, I mean, I was also thinking about another one. Um, uh, or some of the Resident Evil games that came right. out, kind of in the ba- in the back half of the aughts or whatever. All of those to me are very Western games. Like Metal Gear Solid is explicitly drawn from like Western media of like James Bond and shit like that, right? Like Snake is named after Snake Plissken from you know, uh, uh, Escape, Escape from, from New, New York, York right? Yeah. Like, the heroes in Contra are not, like, you know, Japanese... Got, they, like, they're two American soldiers. You know what I mean? Right, and right, so right. Uh, I kind of feel as though, like, in a weird way, that does make a certain amount of sense that, like, maybe Japan is just kind of, like, adopting, like, the Western understanding of how guns work in those kinds of, uh, in those kinds of media. And I really have a tough time thinking about, it, like, maybe, like, Maybe like maybe like the uh, what's the the Yakuza games? Yeah, have well, like the, gun pickups or something. Well, the, the guns are rare, but that's because it's a reflection of of Japan, which has yeah, yeah. Exactly. Well, like it, it is a reflection of real life Japan. Right. Um, it's actually in the same way that like Grand Theft Auto is like a reflection yeah, yeah. of real life America. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it, it's funny. Uh, I was listening. Uh, the super best friends did a playthrough of Yakuza Zero relatively recently, and, and at one point, one of them talks about how like. Grand Theft Auto to Japan is what metal or is what uh, Yakuza is to us, right? Like, like their equivalent of Grand Theft Auto is Yakuza because that's like the reflection of their own culture, whereas GTA is kind of the reflection of a, of a foreign culture. Um, and for us, it's the opposite, right? GTA is a reflection of our culture, and and uh, and likewise. Um, but I, I I I just find it kind of hard to say that like two makes uh makes it like a rule also yeah, yeah, yeah i would i would point not, out not to mention that there are plenty of jrpgs out there where like things that are not guns but are also you know what i mean like final yeah. fantasy right like picking up swords and power-ups and all of that shit um like that's very much ingrained in that kind of thing like i i, I don't know i don't know of any game like that that has that like that explicitly does that sort of thing with guns but i'm sure that there is one out there and i'm just not enough of an expert I would also point out that the box art of Mega Man is like a dumb-looking person holding a gun as opposed to being an integrated uh, uh, cannon. Um, although that's that might actually just be the North American box art. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I, I, has Mario ever used a gun? I also feel like there are like a lot of like uh, gun substitutes because there's like the what's the what's the the jetpack thing from Sunshine? Oh, the like the, uh, squirt or something. Uh, yeah, the flood, 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 right? Yeah, like the flood pack kind of has like gun aspects to it. Luigi's vacuum in Luigi's mansion. Yeah, that's a Luigi's mansion reference, bitches. Yeah, but you know, you know, if, if <laughs> like if, those if, things are kind of gun-ish, right? Uh, if if you want, if you want to support this, right? Like Fire Flower, it's coming from Mario, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I guess you're right. Um, you know, Ken and Ryu shoot Hadoukens, which comes from their own energy. <sighs> Fuck. Yeah, I guess you're right. Even, like, Soul Calibur, like, there aren't really guns in Soul Calibur. Like, I think yeah. Cervantes has a gun, but all of those weapons are, like, melee weapons. Though I also don't really know what you would do with a, hiding, a fighting game where, like, guns were common. Uh, uh, I mean, it's, it's like, I guess maybe Smash Brothers, right? Like, you, you can't do a traditional fighting game with ranged weapons because it just doesn't fit the model well, right? Yeah, yeah. A, a, fighting, games with, uh, a fighting game with guns is called a first-person shooter. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I think that that's uh, I think that that's true. Um, um, uh, but yeah, uh, 
So, but I definitely do. I definitely do think that there is something to kind of like the you know obviously culture influences games, and if you if and if you were to say that you had a, like a violent culture, it would make sense that you had violent games. But the, the thing is, is that like. I feel like the lowest common denominator argument doesn't really work because I don't know that I think American games are more violent than Japanese games or European games. Yeah. Um, like as a rule, I mean, I guess maybe maybe I could maybe I could support this with kind of like paradox um, and like the, the the Euro simulator games. Like that's a huge suite of European games. Um, whereas I don't know that there's like a a great Western equivalent for those games. And so like, maybe if you Civ. were to pick up, yeah, that's a good one. Um, you know, Sid Meier put his name all over those games. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, but even then, like in Civ, you have like combat and, and it, it's, it is like more real combat than the combat in something like Europa Universalis. Yeah, um, I, I, I which, guess, which is much more spreadsheety, but I, I, I would, I would also argue that like, it, it, it's all degrees. Like, I, I'd buy the argument at some level that the world is kind of, you know, like, life is nasty, brutish, and short type deal. Um, and, so, like, that's just kind of an inherent feature of humanity in some ways. Like, I, yeah, I, I so can that buy is, that argument. So, that is the third kind of driver, which is the one that I end up agreeing with most. Um, and the best and the best thing I can give you for this one is a video by a YouTuber named ContraPoints, where she has a whole video about violence. It's not even really violence in games. It's just kind of violence in general. Um, she's actually kind of referring to, uh, like, the Richard Spencer punch thing that happened, right? Like, the punching Nazis kind of thing. But it's not really a, a debate about that. It's just kind of, like, talking about, like, is there something to the aesthetics of violence that draw humanity to it? And she basically postulates, like, yes. Like, human, the human condition is to be violent, right? But most of us have a conscience as kind of an inhibiting feature, right? And so we, we require a kind of moral cleansing or moral justification in order to aesthetically enjoy violent, violence in the way that someone who lacks that, right? So, like, um, you know, a, a sadist's enjoyment of random, cruel violence is no different than a righteous man's enjoyment of righteous violence, there's just a, an extra barrier of entry. A righteous man can't enjoy uh, cruel violence because he ends up empathizing with the victim too much. You know what I mean? Um, and, that's, and, and that's pretty compelling uh, when, I, like, when I think about it. Because, like, and, and it also kind of gets to this idea, like, the reason I call it, like, the cathartic aspect is that, like, okay, well, let's say humans have a natural drive to be aggressive and to be violent, to, to, to be violent and to, like, inflict violence on things. Well, probably the best way that you can experience that is by simulating it, right? And so, you know, going into Fallout 3 and walking into the middle of you know, megaton with a fat boy and nuking all of the civilians is a pretty good way to cathartically express your inner drive for violence without there being any kind of real, real world consequences to that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, 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 I get that. Um, and I see the point and I think I agree with it to a certain extent, but there's also part of me that wants to say that part of the reason it's so popular is because it's so relatively uncommon in kind of modern times like video games are relatively modern invention oh boy um 
and I kind of wonder if we were like a world at war that somehow video games were still coming out in order, you know, maybe we just have access to the back catalog if less violent games would be more popular, right? Like the the, the joke is that like, you know, your D D characters play like like cubicles and bosses in their downtime. Right, um, right. Uh, if everybody is a soldier, you know what I mean? Maybe you maybe you fantasize about being a, an accountant. Yeah. Um or or something like that, right? Like, um, I I would say that, like, you know, the not there are a ton. Of, there, there are a couple of games that are like game dev tycoon or whatever. But I, you know, may, maybe it's may, maybe this is me reading too much into it. But I have no desire to play that game, and I think part of that at least is because that's like what I do. Like, not that I'm a game dev, but I'm a software developer, right? And, um. I don't want to do simulated software development in my in my off time. No, I totally get that. I mean, you know, I literally work on a video game that I have never once played in my life. Um, so I, I think that there is kind of a like, you know, you want to you want to keep your peas out of your potatoes kind of thing um, when it when it comes to some of that stuff. That's actually a critique. Are you ready for this? I'm about to get real. That's actually a critique that um, I guess I think his name is Michael, the the philosopher Foucault, right? His name is Michael Foucault. Foucault. Um, Foucault, right? His, I, I read his book in college about prisons or whatever. That's what he talks about when he talks about prisons. Like all of a sudden, in like the 18th and 19th century, it it became like unethical to like enjoy the violence of like punishment. Um, whereas for most of human history before that, like public executions were like a thing, right? Like you take a bunch of Christians practicing heresy and you feed them to lions in the middle of the Colosseum, right? And that's kind of like, that is the expression. That's part of like the cathartic expression of like violence of like society. And then we eventually decided that that was probably wrong. And so we made prisons and then all of a sudden, like we're all getting violence blue balls because we're not able to cathartically enjoy our violence anymore. And then media gets way more violent. I have no idea whether or not that that's the, tr the case. And I am really pulling, I graduated college 10 years ago. So this is pulling from more than a decade out. Uh, but I'm pretty sure that's kind of what he was saying, right? Yeah, it wasn't quite, quite 10 years ago, uh, but, uh... Oh, yeah, you're right, I'm sorry. That it was, was high school 10 high years school. ago. Yeah. Um, uh, also, I'd like to point out that you, that you, this is, this is like the most American, his name is Michel Foucault, not Michael <laughs> Foucault. Michael Foucault! I'm such a piece of shit, dude. Wow, that is, wow! <laughs> uh, that's, that's pretty amazing. That's pretty amazing, yeah. Um, uh. <laughs> but uh, but yeah. What, man, what is the book called? I I think it's called the History of Prisons, but it might be called something different. Um, uh, but yeah, I I I could buy that. Um, I think it's also just a, a thing that's kind of hard to see because like it's like media flourishes in a non-wartime environment, right? Like, um, and in fact, I'd say like. Like the last hundred years is probably the only time where we had any real ability to produce media uh, at at like you know some scale while war was still on, right? Like everything previous to that, like it's you know you're doing the war thing. Um, Not to mention that like the better our media got at depicting war, the more war as a concept has been turned on. Uh, um, I, yeah. I, I totally read something along these lines, but I, I really can't remember the source. But basically the idea is that like in 
Um, in World War II, while you have World War serial, like when you have like serials, is kind of the last time that you can depict a war without like the like the really gross shit, right? And that one of the big turning points for kind of like warfare and that we saw like in Vietnam is like there are war correspondents for television like stations um, in Vietnam filming stuff nightly and bringing it back to people. And then, and that's kind of when like humanity as a concept turned on the idea of war, right? Like war was always, um, you know, like not, not that it's something that is justified, but that it is um, kind of justifiable, I suppose you would say um, much more easily in, in a, in a world like in a 1920s world or whatever, uh, because it's a lot harder for the true horror of that war to come home to people who didn't experience it firsthand. Right. And so it's a lot easier for, you know, a middle ages, a middle ages, you know, blacksmith who's making swords never sees, right. Like the arms that get lopped off and like the gangrene that those, you know, lopped off arms get, Right, you know, all, all of that kind of stuff doesn't reach, like, the home front in the way that it does now in, like, modern society with media, which is the reason that we live in a much less warlike world. Uh, whether or not you say you want to agree with that, this is kind of the... I, I don't know who I'm quoting here, but I'm quoting somebody yeah, no, from, it's, from college. <laughs> that's interesting. Um, I would also, like, I think there's also this weird thing where, like, um, one, the, you do get your exceptions, right? Like, uh, Inglorious Bastards is pretty right. much an unapologetic celebration of violence. Um, oh, what? Inglorious Bastards? Yeah. You, Dude, Inglorious Bastards is the opposite of that. It's the opposite of a celebration of violence. Yeah. Okay, okay. Sorry. No, this is. So, Inglorious Bastards is my favorite of the Tarantino films. And it is for this reason. So, the all of the stuff with the bastards in the beginning, where they're like fucking on Nazis and everything like that, that mirrors like the end with Hitler in like in the studio. Uh, or, I'm sorry, in the movie theater, where he's watching the movie where Daniel Bruhl is like sniping like, like everyone right, or whatever. Right. It's drawing a parallel between those two things and saying, like, yep, this is what you're doing. When, you know, like, when you're cheering on Brad Pitt for, like, you know, whatever. Like, this is this is the kind of shit that you're doing. Eh, I, I don't know. Okay. I think it's definitive, but that is yeah, definitely no, no. my interpretation. No, no, no. I, 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 I definitely see that, but I, I I feel like getting into this now is, is the wrong place. But I definitely think that's interesting. Um, and I, I hadn't considered it that way, and, and I'm, I don't mean to sound super doubtful. It's just, like, I, I don't want to... Spend yeah, the time yeah, down I mean, the day to but I, mean, I, I, I do I think, think that's super like, interesting. Uh, I think something like Saving Private Ryan is is a good example of this, right? It it very much does the like war is tough and it sucks, but it's necessary kind of oh, like greatest saying. generation sort of thing. And there's okay. you know there's a bunch of World War II movies that kind of follow in this same vein. Um, so, so I like to, to to get to that point that I was that I was driving towards is that World War II is also kind of like. The only war in recent history, maybe the only war kind of ever, if, if I've just given a brief thought, that's like kind of unambiguously where, you know, like a, a good versus evil fight, right? Like um, at, at least kind of as as we galvanize it looking backwards, I, I, I think that's a, a kind of fair thing to say, right? Like every kind of conflict since, um, and I think almost, I, 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 it's very hard to to look at a any conflict and be like, this, this was, this was unambiguously like a good thing um 
Uh, so I, okay, so this is actually insanely interesting because I really wonder. I my my kind of priors are to agree with you, um, because that's kind of how I've always understood World War II, right? Like when you have the Holocaust on the other side of World War II, how the fuck is that shit not justified? You know what I right. mean? But the kind of counter-argument to this is that that belief is actually kind of programmed into specifically American society and American culture um, as a kind of, like, pat-on-the-back self-aggrandizement that, like, really washes over, like, the uglier shit. I mean, the obvious thing is, like, Japanese internment, right? Like, you know, how much different is the Holocaust from Japanese internment, right? Like, definitely different, but... Yeah, no, I'm not going to say it it was a good thing. I I think Horamatsu was, like, the worst decision that, that the Supreme Court ever made, but it, you know, we didn't kill... Japanese, like we didn't round, round yeah, them yeah, up yeah, and, yeah. and shove them in oven, and you know, you know, I I absolutely get that, but like it's also, it is at the very least I think more justifiable than most other wars. And no, I I definitely I mean to to finish this thought, like the uh, the idea is that kind of like there's a certain amount of guilt that goes into World War Two for like the American isolation, right? Like people knew about concentration camps. Like they they talk about being sent to concentration camps in Ca- in Casablanca, which is a movie from 1940. You know what I mean? Like concentration camps were known and people were less willing to accept Jewish refu- refugees from Germany than we are today to accept Syrian refugees, right? And so once the end of the war comes around and like the true horror of the Holocaust is kind of revealed to America as a whole, we kind of need to flip the script a little bit and be like, oh, well, we really did this for the right reasons, right? Like, you know, like, yeah. you kind of have to justify that, like, I and I, and I don't think that that's 100% true. Like I said, I feel like my priors are that, you know, World War II is one of the most justifiable wars ever, also because fascism is a loser ideology, right? Like, um, but uh, uh, there, there is there is complication there that <laughs> there, there's always complication to that kind of stuff. Yeah, no, and and I, I think this works even with that. Like, you know, we talk about Saving Private Ryan and other films in that kind of, um, in, in that kind of vein that that kind of celebrate World War II in in a, in a in some sense, right? Um, and those work from this frame because they're also looking backwards with that kind of like you know uh, whatever like lens on it. Um, but no other war really has that lens, and so I wonder if like another war like that were to happen today, right? Like one could imagine painting a similar picture for North Korea, maybe. Yeah, right. right. Not, like, not that I'm not that I'm advocating for going to war with North Korea, right? But if we found out that like Kim Jong Un was, you know committing genocide against uh, North Koreans or something like that, or, like, you know, launched launched an aggressive kind of annexation of South Korea, you know, like, any of these other kinds of things that we would we would say that Nazi Germany kind of, like, did in uh, in the 1930s. Uh, I, I definitely feel that. I definitely, I definitely yeah, see and that. Yeah, and maybe it may be our, our kind of, like, the turn against war thing would, would, would turn back a little bit. I, it's, yeah. it's just, it's just a... I also think that this whole conversation is kind of... Uh, is kind of steeped in like American isolationism, yeah. Uh, which which is like which I find that's that's kind of its own thing. Um, and I'm not an expert on this, but like the idea is that kind of like Europeans are actually more accustomed to war because like historically 
they haven't been as isolationist as the U.S. has been, right? Like, obviously, with stuff like Napoleon, right? Um, or, you know, like, any of the conflicts in, like, the Middle Ages, right? And the way that we almost kind of lionize that stuff in, like, fantasy literature or whatever. Um, there is some of that lionization in the U.S., right? But, like, from a historical perspective, the U.S. is much more inclined to be isolationist um, and not, like, get get all up in uh, other folks' business uh, uh, when it comes to warfare. Uh, then... I, 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 I get that, but the only thing i got to throw back at you is that, like, you know, conflicts in the Middle Ages are also, like, United States history for the vast majority of kind of, like, the American apparatus, right? Like, No, sure, sure. And I, and I mean, you know, like, I think we also kind of lionize, uh, we lionize plenty of shit, right? Like, yeah. um, the, uh, 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 the American Revolution is, like, the most obvious yeah. example of this kind of thing, right? Like, you know, George Washington, the Founding Fathers are held in really great regard, um, even though, like, they were pretty objectively waging you know, like waging war, killing tons and tons of people and all this and all this stuff. Right. Like, yeah, um, uh, it, it always kind of bothered me that like, you know, the 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 kind of like uh, iconic moment of the Revolutionary War is George Washington <laughs> kill, killing people on Christmas. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, yeah, I know. And we're both from New Jersey. So I heard about that shit a lot because, yeah. you know, obviously the crossing the Delaware into New Jersey makes it kind of like. A New Jersey thing, like yeah. claim to fame, like you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but so yeah, and, and and I think that that stuff comes like comes back around and kind of like feeds into our, uh, you know, feeds into our media, right? Like our like video games. It, I think it's why the World War Two shooters were so e easy to do and popular, and there were no like Vietnam shooters. You know what I mean, like. <laughs> You know, I, um, I think it's a lot harder to justify a Vietnam shooter than it is to justify the shooting of Nazis in Call of Duty. Uh, yeah. I, th there are Vietnam shooters, though, right? There's, there's Battlefield Vietnam. There definitely are. Yeah, there definitely are. But they don't have the same kind of prevalence that something like Call of Duty World yeah. War or any of those, any of that whole giant era. Sure. Yeah, also, um, you, you can't make a game about Vietnam without, you know, addressing the fact that it's, you know, that Vietnam in particular is like, you know, like... Yeah, really the, corny. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it is it is probably the opposite of World War Two in that respect, um, in terms of like justifiableness and like sticking your nose where we shouldn't. Yeah. Um, but then we get to the modern era, right? Where we're having, where you know, once you have Call of Duty Modern Warfare, I mean, the modern era that was 15 years ago. Um, you have Call of Duty Modern Warfare, which kind of like updates everything to like the present day and. That also kind of like weirdly like muddies shit up, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree with that. And I and I like Modern Warfare. I think Modern Warfare is actually a pretty great game, um, and everything. But like, there is something to the way it shows. Um, uh, there's like something to the way that it shows the military apparatus of the U.S. in a in such an uncritical light that does kind of sit weirdly with me. Is is it? Is it uncritical though? Like, you know, it it, it 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 comes out in an era of edginess, but like, it's it's not like my, the modern warfare games are like a bright and shining knights on the hill. Like, there's still like, you know, kind of uh, a, a, a through line of anti-heroness that I think permeates permeates them. I mean, okay, maybe I don't know. I I got the, uh, uh, so like I, I said, I like point. I like Modern Warfare. I like Modern Warfare and everything. Don't don't get me wrong. Sure. Um, I specifically like the nuke 
bit, like the bit where you play as you know, like you're you're playing as two characters in parallel, yeah. and halfway through the game, one of them gets nuked, and you play him as like the nuclear bomb goes off or whatever. Like that was like harrowing, right? But then there's also like that one thing where you're in like the like the gunship, and you have like the black and white infrared camera, and they, you you they're like Char target that church next, and then you hit the church, and some guy just goes kaboom. You know what I mean? Like I don't know that that part always got me. Like that yeah. part always got me. <laughs> yeah, and you know there's the, you know press F to pay respects is, is yeah, a yeah. meme now. Um, in a way, I almost think that it's kind of the difference between something like. Um, uh, so there's kind of like the Transformers way that it frames the United States military and like the Man of Steel way that frames the U United States military. Like, I don't think Man of Steel, like Man of Steel is pretty skeptical of the military, but also not like outwardly condemning, right? Like Superman is willing to work with them and everything like that. But, you know, at the end he like tanks their like spy right, right. thing or whatever. And like the whole conflict in that middle half of the movie is like whether or not he and the humans can, can like work together. And Colonel Hardy is like shooting fucking Superman with missiles and shit, right? Like, like I feel like that's kind of the best you can do. I get pretty uncomfortable in those Transformers movies when it's like, you know, the, the there's this part in one of the movies where I, I think John Voight as like, <laughs> the Secretary of Defense or whatever is talking to like some government bureaucrat or whatever who's like giving the soldiers shit and uh, and the soldiers is like no we won't you know we won't do that or whatever and then John Voight like practically turns to the camera and he goes I wouldn't fight with them I think he calls I think she's a woman I think he calls her honey I think I wouldn't fight with them honey these guys really don't do losing <laughs> or something like that and I was like oh god like oh so god that's so weird but I also think that like military power isn't the same kind of violence you know what I mean like payday yeah. is violence and I think it's kind of that anti-hero violence of like well if you're just like an insanely hedonistic piece of shit you could go and murder police or whatever yeah right? like you know there's a certain amount of like lampshading that you can do to also kind of get across the finish line I think yeah yeah, I, I agree with you. That uh, isn't necessarily, uh, like, state-based, you know, violence or anything like that. In fact, I almost think that the the one of the reasons that, like, criminal games like GTA uh, or the Mafia games or Payday or something like that also work is because, like, this, from a societal perspective, it's a lot more permissible for a criminal to use violence and have a weapon and stuff like that, like... In a weird way, I, I think that's kind of the dissonance behind somebody like Gordon Freeman. Um, and why, like, even though you have, like, Half-Life, which is an insanely popular game, like, it's not like, you know, ballistics expert nuclear physicists took off as, like, a subgenre or something like right, that. Right, right, right. You know right. what I mean? Like, there weren't any other... I can't think of any other, like... Uh, games. I mean, maybe maybe the Uncharted series because Nathan Drake is kind of just like a like a treasure hunter or something like that. But um, although um, <laughs> there's uh, again two of our best friends we're talking about this. The Nathan I haven't played the Uncharted game, so um, I'm I I can't speak to it directly. But the, like Nathan Drake is kind of a psychopath. Yeah, um, I mean people talk really about that. About I think it's what I mean. I I don't know people used to use the term ludonarrative dissonance, and then it was like shitty. But now it's like usable again and i do think that ludonarrative dissonance is like a thing and nathan drake is probably a pretty good example of it right like you know he wants to be a like freewheeling jive talking you know fun fun loving upbeat guy but he's also like tossing grenades and and killing you know 
like 40 guys or whatever that stuff is it's harder for me to kind of like get in that headspace than it is to get in the headspace of commander shepherd right the um the the earth-based you know special ops guy with a military rank and a military mission and a military crew yeah yeah no i get that um kind of kind of um to tie into some of this um, I wonder how much of kind of like this, this this perception stuff and the acceptability of it is tied to also the fact that you don't you never get super photorealistic. Like you, I think you even like in the modern age you could start to get there, but no one does because that'd be horrific. Um, but you know even when you start right, like um, you know enemies kind of fall over, blink, and then disappear. Um, uh, what's the other one I want to bring up? Like super hot, which is. Uh, um, kind of one of the newer is, is one of the newer games, but um, it, it's VR, um, which got me thinking about is you know you feel like it's very one to one with how you play that game because you use the controller, like you use the, the the whatever version of VR controllers you use, and the headset. Um, but they're pixel men, so you don't like. I feel like I feel like it'd be one of the most disturbing things I've seen is there's a war game for VR, and uh, it's like a, a a video of like a bunch of like goofiness it's like the most darkly comedic thing I've, I've ever seen and this dude like this you, you're looking through the eyes of this dude and this dude takes a gun and like points at himself and like kills himself with it it's just like what the fuck is happening Jesus. yeah um and like it's it's i don't know it's it's uh i i feel like vr is going to kind of push that that to its limit. It's like at some point somebody's going to come out with a game, and like do it in a relatively standard style, and something's going to hit. Like some moment in the game is going to be like, no, no, this this is this is too much. Um, yeah, I, I I do agree with you, and I think that there's almost like an uncanny valley sort of like sweet spot. Like I can get really into some of like the gore and stuff. Like we've been playing Vermintide, right? When it comes to like hacking away at like rat men or whatever, like chaos warriors with like a grape sword and like lopping off their arms and shit. Um, that that does feel there's there is something that's like viscerally pretty cool about that. But I do think that if I was doing that in a any kind of like conventional sense with like conventional humans, it would be a lot creepier and weirder, and I would have a harder time with it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. There's a certain. I mean, I actually think if there if there is any good critique to kind of like the catharsis driver for violence, right? I think that there is. Uh, I, I I don't know that it's quite so like cut and dry that people engage in violence in simulations kind of without like morals right like yeah people can just go to fucking like megaton and nuke places right like that but i actually kind of wonder how many people do keep their morality in good standing or whatever um, right like over the course of over the course of that game like i have a hard time playing like an evil character even in something like fallout and, and the, like the, the meme isn't that you go and you blow up megatons that you save your game blow up megaton and reload yeah. Right. Like, and you know, like you, it's which, it, which, if anything, that is like the philosophical equivalent of proving that proving that point, but like maintaining kind of like the moral purity in a way, right? Like, yeah. No. You but, don't want the consequences even in a virtual setting. Yeah. Yeah. It's a simulation within a simulation. Yeah. Right. Like you, you, you don't, you don't want the yeah, you don't want the consequences in your game, so you 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 save and you do it and you really yeah yeah I'm, I'm totally with you there. Yeah, that's 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 neat. 
So I don't know really what conclusions we can draw from that, but I found that shit interesting. Uh, do you have anything else you want to say about violence um, in games or media or whatever? Uh, I don't. I don't think I. I don't think I do. Um, it's been an interesting exploration. Uh, but uh, speaking of violent games, um, that involve human enemies, I finished Far Cry Five. Oh, did you? Yeah. How was it? You said the ending sucked. So I'm going to. So I'm gonna. I'm gonna separate this out. I wasn't a fan of the ending, in a way. A lot of ways that I recognize are due to personal preferences. Um, but I also think there's a there's a strong case to be made that the ending's bad, kind of in a universal sense. I, um, I have spoiled myself, I guess, a little bit, and I kind of agree. I, I, I saw somebody, like, tweeting about it, basically saying, like, that the ending was a fucking cop-out, and then I, like, looked into it a little bit, and I was like, yep, that looks like a fucking cop-out to me. How much uh, How much do you know? Uh, just the, well, to, to sp quickly mute this, like, bit or whatever, you know, 54321, that like, there's, like, a mind-control drug or something like that? Like, all these people are being mind-controlled? So that, that, that's throughout the whole game. That's not Oh, the oh is it? Oh, okay. Because that kind of seems like the cop-out. Like, I'm fine with this. Not, like, people are talking about it like, oh, this should really be like a critique of like alt-right, you know, violent tendencies. Ah, you know, that's not really, that doesn't have to be this game. And I think that there is something to like the kind of like cults or whatever that we get and that crop up all the time in. Um... Yeah, I, this game was clearly supposed to be more Waco, Ruby Ridge than it was supposed to. And, you know, Branch Davidians than it was supposed to be um, modern stuff. Although, there is a fair amount of modern stuff in there, and if you play all the way to the end, there's a pretty... Uh, yeah, I don't want to spoil it for you, but there, there's, uh, there, there's, there's some stuff there, um, if you pay attention. Um, but yeah, I think the very end is, is, is kind of bad um, in all of its... Uh, in all of its iterations. I'm sad because I think that the first... The, the first person I did, which was Jacob, I think he was by far the best out of any of the three of them. Um, uh, he has some really cool mechanics. With So what, one of the things that happens is as you progress through the region, I, I think I spoke about this last time, you get pulled out of what you're doing to go do like a, like a story critical mission. Um, and I found those kind of jarring and I wasn't a huge fan of like, you know, not doing what I was doing and then having to go like, you know, like stopping doing what I wanted to do and going to do them. But the content of them themselves was pretty all right. I thought that Jacob's was by far the best implemented of them. The other ones were just kind of like standard missions with other window dressing. I thought the stories around the other two kids were all right. Um, I expected the final mission to be something, but it really wasn't really anything. Um, uh, I don't know if there's anything else to put in there. Um, game was fun. I would recommend it but i don't think i'll like you know i finished it i don't think i'm gonna go back to it anytime soon um when the, like the, the there's ways that the dlc could like connect and I, I might go back for that but until then i'm, I'm is, it, is it worth it would you recommend it 60 dollar game um hold on let me, let, me, let me see how many how many hours i put into this real quick just so just so i can you know think about it like i, I definitely thought it was a fun game um i would definitely recommend it at I put thirty-one hours into it. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I, I think I'd give it. Um, and if you, so this is this is actually something something I think that maybe we should do an episode on, but um, 
I find this is the case that also something that also happens in kind of Skyrim as well as like, um, as the game goes on, you just get more stuff. And so the game just gets easier. And so I feel like the back half of the game I enjoyed less just also in a way because it was less challenging. Oh, yeah. So this is actually a problem that I think is, uh, I don't want to say pervasive, but I guess I do kind of want to say pervasive. Um, the, I, I think that this is something that is pervasive in the in the Far Cry games, which is that like there is something to the power balance um, where you start at a place that feels good and challenging and then you level up and those level ups incrementally also feel good because you know like you're progressing and you're earning shit or whatever but at a certain point you kind of hit this critical mass of uh kind of um what do i call that you know just triviality you know what i mean like once you unlock all of your abilities right once you unlock the best guns once you have like a sniper rifle that's insanely accurate and a silencer well now you now you just take out all of the guards from you know 250 yards and then walk into the the base and take it over you know what i mean like there's not the same kind of like necessity to like futz around with like the game and its mechanics in the same way do you know what i mean yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th I think I think I I, feel, I follow you. Uh, I definitely felt that I felt that pretty hard in Far Cry Three because I think Far Cry Three also coupled that with a bad progression. Um, like the it progressed you pretty pretty quickly, um, and then the second island sucks. There's two islands in it. Um, the first island is is pretty awesome because there it's the jungle and there's a lot of tree cover and shit like that. And so like even when you want to do those kinds of like long range snipe everybody down sort of uh, infiltrations of outposts or whatever, uh, it's pretty insanely tough to to do that just because like the distance um, of it all. And then um, in but then you go to the second island and the second island has more kind of like open spaces uh, and like grassland and plains and stuff like that and that's actually pretty cool like the grasslands or whatever from a I guess um, like 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 firefight in the grasslands you kind of get that like the Lost World like Jurassic Park two thing where you kind of can't you're only looking for like bobbing heads and you can't really see who's moving around you almost. Um, but then, but then you can just snipe everything and it just becomes trivial. Yeah. Um, the thing that happened to me was I found out that you could snipe the alarm boxes at the camp. And so I did that and then I was just walking with a light machine gun and wreck the shit out of everything. Oh, which yeah. is fun, but like at some level just like, well, this is, this is the same thing again. Yeah. I mean, uh, to a certain extent, I think you maybe need to, or like you want to do, like, I, I, I believe that you can play. People talk about how it's really tough to play like Oblivion or Skyrim um, once you realize that like in, you know, like in Skyrim enchanting is broken or, you know, uh, kind of whatever, whatever else. And I think that in, in an expressive game like that, you can just kind of say, well, then don't, you know what I mean? Don't level enchanting all that much, right? Try and find uh, your, like impose some small rules on yourself. I do this in WoW too, right? Like it's a lot more fun to level without flying. So when you hit level 60 on a character, don't buy flying, right? Just don't give yourself like the, the, the temptation set a rule and then follow it sort of thing. Um, and maybe you need to like, maybe that's the answer to this. But I also feel like Far Cry is a much narrower game than something like Oblivion um, or Skyrim or World of Warcraft where like, you know, maybe don't shoot the alarm boxes is a, is, is a good enough rule to cover this sort of thing. But at a certain point you kind of just like are 
are getting rid of the upgrades that you are earning so what's the point yeah 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 i, I, I think I, I think i i i get that um i'm really sad that we're recording this on wednesday uh because we haven't played hell's rebels uh and i told you to remember to ask me something on the podcast but uh you can't talk about we, it yet. we can't talk about it because we haven't done it we 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 skipped last week Ladies and gentlemen, uh, because Jimmy had to get up early, um, and I used that opportunity to tinker because of why why not, and I rewrote a whole bunch of stuff, and I made it much better, I think, and I'm very excited to talk about it. Um, to be honest, I'm probably going to end, like, I, I'm almost, like, hyping it up too much. It's a very minor thing that I care about, and I'm sure you're going to be like, really, buddy, is this, like, that worth it? But who cares? <laughs> yeah, no, Absolutely. Uh, um, have you been playing? Have you been playing Starfinder? What's going on with your Starfinder game? Oh, uh, we Did have you see all not. My trash talk? We we have not been been playing Starfinder because uh, Jimmy's slave drivers are beating him too hard. Um, yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's unfortunate. Um, uh, what else is there? Oh, um, if I've sent a little bit of space the past couple seconds because I went to check something and then I realized it saved my progress. I've been playing the Universal Paperclips game. <laughs> Um, so it, it's, it's a, so it's, it's, it's like a clicker game, but it's based on this like philosophical problem that like, if you create a machine whose job, who like an, an AI who you say to just make as many paper clips as possible, right? Um, that sounds all well and good, but if you don't think about how to deal with it properly, oh, um, it'll start doing things like you know, killing people and then draining the iron from their blood and then turning that into paper. paper clips. Yes. You, you, yeah. You know. Okay. Yeah. Or, yeah. or like they, it realizes that human, a human might turn off the paperclip generating machine, which would not maximize, you know, which would hurt paperclip production. So the logical conclusion. Is, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I do know this philosophical problem. Yeah. Um, but it's, uh, it is, it, it starts out. It's just like a paperclip generator and it, then it goes insane. And I played it for about two hours last night. Um, and it's neat. Um, and, like, every time you think you've hit the limit, it just kind of, like, takes it and, like, goes, like, over the top with it. Um, and I kind of don't want to spoil it, but I'm going to put a link in the description for uh, uh, for, for people. It's, it's very interesting. I heard about it from uh, the, uh, the CGP uh, the, or the, the CGP Hel Gray. Hello Internet. Oh, Hello, Hello Internet. Internet. Yeah. And H H Brady Heron and CGP Cray were talking about it. And he was like, this is the only one. That I will play, and uh, I didn't look at it then, but that somebody linked it somewhere, and I was clicked on. I was like, "Oh, oh, I understand." <gasps> um, but it is it is neat. I would encourage people to go check it out. I really have no idea what click. I I don't understand clicker games. Can you explain like the the appeal? What, what what is the appeal of a clicker game? Um, the numbers get real big, right? Like it is it is the distillation of you know of some aspects of a lot of games, right? Of like World of Warcraft at some level is about making your numbers real big, right? Like, um, and it's just that aspect. And when you start, right, like when you do a couple of clicks, it's not necessarily about like, um, it's, you know, it's not about like, uh, it's not necessarily about like actively engaging with it. It's like, oh, this is neat, right? Like it's a diversion. Like it's a thing I could do for like 10 seconds, right? And then you do it for 10 seconds, you do it for three minutes. And then like, you're like, I could make these numbers real big. And the numbers start getting big. And then you kind of like 
just like engage with it a little bit and then you look up and it's like two hours later and you're like oh oh i spent all this time like i have more like i was listening to a podcast while i was playing last night and i had more trouble paying attention to it than i do when i like play wow right like that's like the level of engaging it's like i gotta give me if i do this the numbers will get bigger faster and i'll have more numbers um and it's 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 a thing you burn out on fast right like after like a little while like after a certain amount of time um you'll hit like you'll hit your limit and you'll be like okay no more of this um and then you'll put it down and probably never go back to it um okay. but it's they're, they're they're good kind of they're also games that you can kind of not play if you're not engaging with them right like you can like every one of these games starts with you click and you generate a thing and then the first thing you can buy is a thing that will automatically click for you and so once you get past the certain point you don't even bother clicking anymore and you just watch the numbers scroll up and if you have to walk away it will make progress while you're away and you can just kind of like look at it everyone's it, it's a very weird phenomenon i like i have never i've never been like long term into like some people like get into it like like some very popular type of mobile game uh, a friend of the show enoch i know has played various ones at different times just kind of like leaves them i used to i used to troll him he used to have he had one where like he would act like uh there was like some the, one of the mechanics was you got some bonus for, like, not touching anything. Like, it, it was supposed to be a bonus for when you were idling. But he hadn't bothered upgrading, like, the clicker version, like, the part where you actually click. So he made more, he made more, uh, like, he made more, like, clicks when he wasn't touching it than when he was touching it. Um, so I would, like, reach across the table and, like, hit his phone so it would tap. And, like, <laughs> drop down. <laughs> it's pretty great. Yeah. It's well done. Well played. Yeah. Um. But you know, it, it's 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 really just kind of about like uh, it's it's you know like I can make the numbers real big and that's 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 neat. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know if there's any re like real good answer to that. Um, Fair enough. <clears throat> um, Still playing WoW, having having a good time. Nice. Uh, any uh, anything in particular you've been doing? In no, I'm asking you. I'm sorry. Oh, are you, are you having a good time? Ah. Uh, it's it's all right, right? Like, you know, it's the new. It's you know, it's as as recording. We're at the beginning of the new cycle, so I got a bunch of stuff to do. Um, I uh, all the things was a re an you recommended to me, um, and occasionally just open up people like ooh and go do that thing. Like, there's this insanely complicated quest to get like the what is it the dark, like the like it's it's a mount that's like uh, lucid nightmare mount. Oh, I have both of those. The Lucid Nightmare and then the Riddler's Mindworm. Uh, yeah. They um, are very cool mounts. Yeah, and so I was, I've, and like, the the way to get them is also kind of neat. And like, I've been trolling the auction house for Shadow Eve masks. Uh, just because like, you know, it, they're obviously expensive because, you know, the, you get a mount out of them or whatever. Uh, yeah. And, and so, you know, and that pop have you done the, have you done the, the halls, the endless halls? Is that the... I haven't finished yet. I, I just got my Shadow Weave mask yesterday. And so I have to... I don't remember where the... There, there's a moment where you get put in a, you get put in a maze that is unique to your player ID. Yeah, no. Like, they, that, they sift your player ID through, like, something, and it creates a maze for you. So, it, and, and that is by far the, like, the most frustrating, but also, like, kind of coolest thing. Uh, I actually, you know, to be honest, what I did is I ended up making a roll 20, um, I made a roll 20 thing for it, like a roll 20, like map, 
basically. Uh. But I didn't realize that there there are rooms with teleporters in them that you that you don't notice. And so I was like, this map makes no fucking sense. I'm like I don't understand. Like why? And and there are different levels. And so sometimes you can be going up a level, and sometimes you can be going down a level. It's like it's hella confusing. It is built to fuck with your brain. Um, but uh, I eventually got to the finish line, uh, and it was insanely satisfying. Uh, yeah, that, that, that doesn't sound like a, a ton of fun, um, but we'll see. I, I have, I just finished on Courage and I haven't done that yet. Yeah. Uh, I mean the, the, the rule that you, you should look up the rules. I didn't look up the rules beforehand. I just, so I like, I saw a general thing that was like, it's a self-generating maze. Based no, on no, there, ID or there, there's no, no solution to the mazes. I've, I've read ahead. No, it's not that there's no solution, but that there are rules to the maze. Oh, like okay, some rooms will saying. teleport you, and some rooms will go up, and some rooms will go down. And you can learn those things kind of by deduction. Um, like, I eventually realized, like, you know, like, I eventually learned where the teleporter in my maze was. And I could play, and I could work around it. You know oh, what okay. I mean? I see what um, you're saying, I see what you're but saying. But I, I didn't know that that existed, so when I was trying to do the maze uh, at first, I was like, this fucking teleporter... Or I was like, this maze doesn't make any sense. Like, it's just random. And then I looked it up further. I was like, oh, I'm being teleported. And that's what's, like, giving me this recursive problem. I see. I see. I see. What about you? What have you been up to in the World of Warcraft and other things? I just completed the third artifact challenge for Prot Warrior, which was pretty fun. Um, it's, uh, like, the tanking challenge is hard. And it is hardest on Warrior, reportedly. Um mostly because warrior doesn't have super great self-healing uh abilities like their ability to recover their own hp is pretty low um compared to some of the other classes um but i don't know it was hard i maybe took like 20 or 30 tries to get across the finish line uh, but i eventually i eventually got there i'm proud i have a flail it's one of the like the paladin one and the warrior one are the only two flails in the game right now. Um, oh. So it is nice to have something so unique. And also just like as like a badge of proof, like I'm going to start, I'm going to start kind of chewing through the mage tower challenge on my other characters. Like I want to do, you know, like my shaman and stuff like that or whatever. Uh, but it was very important to me that I complete them on the warrior um, because obviously these skins are going to go away and I want to have, you know, I want to be able to, to like display my, like, like I got good creep, like, badge of honor you know what i mean like three expansions from now i'm still using the flail and people will be like oh, oh, oh. so yeah yeah um, and then i've been playing uh what else have i been playing i'm playing a little bit of hearthstone because the hearthstone expansion is coming out um it's a lot of new cards it's it's the the expansion is called the witchwood and it's about gilneas and the idea is that there's kind of um there's this like sorcerer witch in like uh in like the 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 woods of Gilneas and they're like superpowering all of the all of the monsters to like come fuck with the Gilneans or whatever um and I am excited to see uh what happens it drops tomorrow um so I'm very excited to see what what ends up coming down coming down the pike um the current most powerful deck is called Q Block do you know Q Block no Q-Block uses a, a, a card called Carnivorous Cube, which is a 5-mana 4-6. Battlecry, destroy a friendly creature. Uh, Death Rattle, summon two copies of it. Um, and so what essentially Q-Block does is it gets a Doom Guard in play, and then you, you drop your cube 
on the Doom Guard, um, and then you summon two Doom Guards and smack face with ten charging damage because Doom Guards have charge. Okay. Um, also, Void Lords. Um, the Void Lord is a nine mana three nine that has taunt and has death rattle. Um, summon three Void Walkers. So one three is with taunt, and it's just like you know, it's that six eighteen. In, in raw stats, and it is, like, the biggest wall to get through. And at 9 mana, that's actually not super bad, but um, one of the mechanics in the uh, Cobalts and Catacombs expansion is Recruit, right? So you recruit something out of your deck, uh, and you can recruit demons, and so when you recruit a Void Lord on turn 6, that shit's, like... It's rough! Yeah, no, it makes... Makes sense. I think you've convinced me. I think I'm gonna go buy uh, the pre-packs for... Uh... For Witchwood. Wow, that was uh, that was easy. Yeah, Witchwood is very cool. Witchwood has a mechanic that I almost want to like talk about more in depth than this, but whatever. Um, uh, it has a mechanic called a Rush. Episode. Yeah, right. Like, yeah, right. What? It has a mechanic called Rush, which is charge, but only for minions. Um, which uh, wait, I, what? what? What does that mean? What do you mean, but only for minions? You can't charge someone's face with a Rush card. But when oh, you play a rush card, okay. you, can, you can immediately attack minions. You can't Im immediately attack face. And they basically they've talked about charge in the past, and charges and like haste in Magic has always been a very hard mechanic to design around um, because it is pretty inherently unfair, right? Uh, like like there's not a lot of tax that comes with like a taunt minion. Uh, there's not a lot of tax that comes with like it's another uh, like keyword on on minions or whatever. Like beast or like right. murloc or something like you like there's not like you wouldn't expect that to drive up the value of a card so much, um, whereas charge really drives up the 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 value of a of a card right like a three one um, is unplayable a three or three one for three is unplayable a three one with charge is right wolf rider is that is that card or whatever um and so by making it rush where like it's not such an immediate threat to your opponent's your opponent's health pool but it is a threat to their board um they've been able to make a ton of different rush cards uh and that's very cool it's it's also like a very warrior centric mechanic which makes sense because like charge was always supposed to be like a warrior centric mechanic but then like they never make charge cards because it's so good. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's also just like a lot of just like meme -y, Like you're going to love this card. There's a, there's a card called Shutterwalk that says um, Battle Cry. It's a 9 mana 6-6. Six, six. It says Battle Cry recast, I guess, all of the Battle Cries that have been played this game. Ooh, so you just get into insane meme territory with that shit. Okay, that, 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 sounds, that sounds super fucking meme -y. Yeah, I actually think it's going to be pretty good. Most people say that, like, a Shutterwalk deck will probably end up in there. Uh, like, Shaman has some pretty good... Uh uh, has some pretty good defensive options. It has some pretty good healing options. Healing is a big one. Uh, it has some pretty good card advantage options, right? So it won't be weird to get into a situation where, you know, you have, like, an infinitely recursive Shutterwalk deck. Um, and I'm interested to see. I'm interested to see what that'll... Uh, what that'll end up looking like. They also brought back some of the, uh, some of the stuff from... Um, God, what's the... Uh, the Argent Tournament um, 
stuff where it was like all about hero powers and then there was a card true heart justicar who would or justicar true heart who would upgrade yeah they would upgrade your hero power that has been brought back into the game in in the form of even and odd decks so there's a card called baku the moon eater and then an alternate card which is gen graymane um and they both have start of game if your deck only has odd minions or if your deck only has even minions uh, well, actually, let me take a quick look. Um, Baku the Moon, e moon Eater. Um, Baku says if, uh, if your deck only has odd cost cards, your hero power gets upgraded. Um, and then Gen Greymane says is if, um, uh, if your deck has only even cost cards, your hero power costs one. Uh, so you can either make your your base hero power more efficient or upgrade your hero power um, to the you know like to that super powered state. Uh, and I'm excited to see what that kind of thing does. Like Justicar Trueheart made Control Warrior like just baseline and archetype. So uh, if Control Warrior comes back because of this shit, like we get like Baku Warrior, I'm gonna be a happy motherfucking camper. Oof. Uh Yes, that, that, no, that that sounds that sounds crazy. I'm 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 excited now. Um, is it confirmed for tomorrow? You said. Yeah, yeah, it comes out tomorrow. Uh, if you buy your I, packs I bought, now, I, I bought you, the packs already. So. Yeah, yeah, because they also upped the the pack count. Um, they've been uh they've been receiving quite a bit of flack, I guess I would say, um, for the the kind of freemium mechanics too hard, like the loot boxiness. Um, of Hearthstone, so they've been giving away more packs uh, to kind of appease the community. Uh, so instead of being fifty dollars for fifty packs, it is fifty dollars for seventy packs. Ooh, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> That's a lot of packs. Yeah, no, I, I saw that. I was like, oh boy, I'm gonna get some packs. Um, and I, I don't know. It, it, it seems like I don't know. It'll be fun. Whatever. We'll. we'll We'll see how that goes. I'll probably stop playing after like a couple weeks. Ugh. Yeah, I mean that—that's typically what happens to me with Hearthstone. Oh, another cool feature that they added is a, the a borrowing deck feature, where if you and I want to play against one another, you can borrow one of my decks. Oh, that's or vice neat. Versa. Yeah. So like, um, like I've run into this with other people sometimes because like I like playing the quests, um, in friendly matches instead of on ladder, um, and so, uh. That means that, like, I'm not just, like, raffle-stomping people with my, like, 60-year-old Hearthstone collection because, you know, I've just put in that much, like, time and effort um, and money. Um, yeah. And they haven't kind of thing, so. I feel like that, that could also lead to, like, a cool kind of, like, you know, build a deck for your opponent and, like, impose some set of rules and, like, see if you can win with Ooh. whatever bullshit. That's, that's uh, interesting. Throw together. Yeah, actually, I, I've done that a little bit. Um uh, I've done that a little bit with, with, like, Charles, for instance. Like, he and I have had, uh, like, makeshifts, uh, like, almost like tournaments. So, so the this is one of the things I like about Hearthstone Esports specifically, is they have something called Conquest, which is, like, the mode in which Hearthstone Esports are played. Um, and in Conquest, you, you have four different decks across four different classes. Your opponent bans one of your decks. Um... And then the other three, um, and then you play the other three in kind of like best out of, uh, best of five. Uh, and once a deck has won, it can no longer be used. 
So it just makes for like interesting kind of like, you know, I I have a you know like I have an aggro deck and he has a you know he has a control deck and my aggro deck is good against his combo deck but it's bad against his whatever deck kind of thing. Like there's like a little bit of that like matchup stuff that goes into it that I find very interesting. Yeah, no, that that, that, that does sound neat. It sounds like a. I mean, that sounds like I know that that's how they do the tournaments, but it feels like it'd be a cool way to play with uh, with friends too. Do they do they have an interface for that, or do you just kind of do it manually? We just do it manually. We just do it manually. So, okay, cool, cool, cool. Well, I'm sure we'll be talking about Hearthstone in the near future at some point. You have anything else with your week? Uh, not really. What have I been doing? We've also only had a couple days. Yeah, yeah. We also, because we recorded um, just a few days ago. Uh, Yeah, I guess guess not. I haven't been, like, watching things, I suppose. Uh, I very recently watched the 21 and 22 Jump Street. Like I said last week, those movies are great. Everybody go watch them. Uh, Yeah, and I don't think I've watched anything since then. Do you want to talk about Vermintide anymore at all? Oh, yeah, man, I really like Vermintide. I really like Vermintide. Like, I could see myself playing this for a long time, I feel like. The progression system seems really cool uh, and interesting, and I like the small levels. Uh, it, it kind of has everything that I was complaining about in that Destiny, uh, in that, like, Lifestyle Games video. Like, one of the reasons that I liked um, Payday over Destiny is that, like, the the it was slow, it was randomized in a small way like the missions in Payday are, right? So that you are doing the same thing and you can master it by like kind of memorizing things and and moving through the different missions and everything like that. Uh, But you can never like truly memorize everything because things are um, in some sense random. And I get that feeling from Vermintide when it comes to like, you know, when do the big giant monsters, right? Rat ogres and and, and Stormfiend? Yeah, Stormfiend and... uh, And And uh, even like little things like... Yeah, and even little things like Chaos Warriors versus the big Chaos Marauders versus the, um, you know, like Storm Vermin, right, versus Plague Monks and, like, the little, uh, like, the Blight Stormer and the, the Globadier and stuff like that. Like, I, I, I find myself playing around them, and it gives the game just enough randomness to make it not feel super repetitive and also just enough... Um, like repetitiveness to make it feel masterable you know what i mean like i'm getting better each time yeah, i yeah, iterate yeah. um which is the sweet spot that's what you're looking for it's the sweet spot and then on top of that you have you know like talents and stuff i'm really excited to start unlocking talents and like more powerful gear and shit and like get into the rpg mechanics because that's like a whole nother you know level of things um do you have a, a favorite do you have a favorite class yet i still don't i i, I like the dwarf and i like the mercenary most um, but I haven't played, I still haven't, like, I still felt like I haven't played enough with all of the classes just because, like, it's not a game that I want to play alone, um, and typically people are covering other things, um, so, but yeah, so I like the Mercenary quite a bit, uh, the Mercenary is probably my number one choice at, right at this moment, uh, but I really also want to unlock the, the extra specializations of Dwarf, like, I'm really interested by Ironbreaker, and I'm really interested by Slayer, um, so I've been playing the Dwarf Ranger until I can kind of, like, get to that level uh, of, of, of things. Similar, like, I, I just unlocked uh, the second specialization of what, the... What's uh, the special, special specialization of the Witch Hunter called? Uh, Bounty Hunter. Bounty Hunter. Okay. Um, but his ult is he fires one big powerful shot, and that's just like, oh, I love that. 
Um, yeah, yeah. You, uh, you seem to you seem to enjoy it when we were playing. Yeah, no, it was it was good. Um, and I I do want to try out the mercenary and the the dwarf, uh, higher level bits. Um, but we'll we'll see. I'm sure we'll eventually get around to all of that. Um, I think I'm gonna try and put some time into war war war. Um, Warframe. Warframe. There we go. Thank you. I was like, it's not Warcry. It's not Warhammer. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> War something. Um, I also might want to try put. I might want to try um, uh, Radical Heights. Um, uh, Eric Kane. Oh, I've heard good things about Radical Heights. Yeah, Eric Kane just put out a video. Radical Heights is pretty rad. It's another. It is so. Like at first blush, it looks like the most cynical thing, right? It is. Uh, you know. Lawbreakers failed miserably, so Bosky tried to do a Battle Royale game. Um, <laughs> That's funny. Um, but, you know, I like Cliff Blazinski enough that, I, that I'd give it a shot. Um, but we'll see how that carries us into the future. Yeah, it's um, funny, because isn't Fortnite also from Cliff Blazinski's old studio? Isn't that uh, an epic? Is Cliff Blazinski formerly of... Uh, yeah, that was his, like... Uh, I, I, uh, now I need to confirm this. Cliff Blazinski. Yeah, epic, you're right. Yeah. 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 So his old game is now. Uh, I I have not. I I have not uh, done Fortnite any Fortniteing yet. So I have. I don't have a good sense for Fortnite. But um, obviously PUBG is legit, and I'm interested, and I hope it works out uh, to see more iterations on this formula. Yeah. Um, um, apparently Red Dead's gonna do it. Uh, like it's like a multiplayer thing, and so I'm sure that will be immensely popular. Yeah. Um. Uh. But yeah, uh, it's it's one of the wow. uh, holy shit, Cliff Frazinski on Lawbreakers. I have to keep this game alive. Uh, <laughs> there, my favorite tweet I saw today about it was, um, uh, Radical Heights isn't the first battle royale game Cliff Brzezinski has put out. Lawbreakers went from 100 players to zero players pretty quickly. It's uh, <laughs> <laughs> funny. Holy shit. Yeah, I don't know anything about law Lawbreakers. Um, it's, I think it's like a PVE shooter, um, that no one played, um, that no one played and that was, a, did so poorly that it wasn't worth them making it free to play. Um, like this, this, this is like, so the order of events is like, they put out this notice that like, they're kind of like sunsetting lawbreakers and they can't, it's not worth the effort to them essentially to make it free to play and that they'll have new announcements soon the next day they announce a battle royale game and everybody's like, oh, Oh, that's what's happened. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I, you know, he, Cliff, Cliffy B is, is, is a legend for a reason. So I, I could believe that, that, uh, that, that Radical Heights will be good. So hopefully it is. If it's yeah. not, whatever. Uh, we have <laughs> PUBG. Um, but I think that's everything I had. But do you have anything else you want to talk about for your week? I have nothing else that I, uh, uh, I want to talk about. Yeah, I, I, I've tripped you up twice with that now. I'll, I'll try and... <laughs> <laughs> but if you'd like to tell us what you thought I about... I saved it a little bit in that yeah. last one. <laughs> if you'd like to tell, tell us what you think about violence in video games um, or other media or any of the things we talked about this week, you can reach us at somedirtsplaygames at gmail.com or podcast at somedirtsplaygames.com. Uh, you can uh, follow us on Twitch. You can follow us on SoundCloud. Leave us reviews on iTunes. All that good stuff. Our, everything will be in the description. Um, I think it's everything else I... Everything I had, buddy, do you have anything else you wanted to promote? I have nothing else that I'm looking to promote. Um, in that case, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners. <laughs> <laughs>